Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We've been worshiping under the overall theme, one lasting thing. This morning, glory for God's people. The San Francisco 49ers are moving to a new stadium in Santa Clara. So, in the paper and on TV, the 49ers are reliving their, their glory years at the stick, the candlestick. How about you? Do you have any glory years that you like to think back upon? King David did. The book ends of glory. Any true and lasting glory begins and ends with God. So David begins and ends Psalm 8, giving praise for the glory which is for God. And both the verses are the same. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As you see those, those two verses... They both begin with LORD in all capital letters. And as my catechism students early on learn, yeah, elbow her, yeah, I'm talking to you. Um, this is personal contact here, you know. Uh, as they learn early on, that when the NIV capitalizes LORD, in Hebrew, that means. Yahweh, Yahweh. And Yahweh is a very significant word for the Jewish people. That was the God of full and free grace. See, King David, King David was familiar with this. Because he was familiar with Exodus 34, which talks about Yahweh. Now, the situation for that is Moses was receiving instructions from God how he's going to lead this huge rebellious group of people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. And Moses said, uh, uh, you got to help me out here. You know, you got to tell me more. Tell me, explain to me who you really are. So he does. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and that's Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. See, David personally knew the name Yahweh. And he understood that, that the name of God stood for everything God was and everything that God had done and will do in the future. That's the significance of name. And David also personally knew of a God who would punish. And he was underneath that, that punishment for perhaps a year. 
because of his refusal to recognize and repent of his sin of adultery and murder. So God sent the prophet Nathan to, to call him to repentance. Do you know of anyone who, because of the way they're living, is living in unrepentant sin and under God's wrath at this time? Maybe you have felt that for, for a short time or a long time in your life. Maybe you needed a Nathan. Maybe you need to be a Nathan for that one that you know is still living under God's wrath and punishment. His promise to not leave the guilty unpunished. See, David also personally knew the, the first part of the Lord's name. He heard from Nathan after he realized his sinfulness and confessed. Nathan told him, you will not die. Your sins are forgiven. So David personally realized a God of long-suffering. See, David most likely lived over a year in that unrepentantness. And God was patient with him. God is patient with us. See, David realized how deeply God loved him to be patient with him over that length of time. And we need to realize how deeply God loves each one of us. And each one of those, those people out, out there, wherever they might live, that don't know him yet. See, David personally experienced a compassionate God. A God abounding in love, a faithful God. A God of this full and free forgiveness. See, and David knew that he would always have this same God because Yahweh does not change. And because Yahweh does not change, his promise of forgiveness and life will not change. David would not die for his sins. You and I will not die for our sins because Jesus did die for your sins and mine and King David's and everyone who will ever live. So through faith worked by the Holy Spirit then, we join with David in proclaiming, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you look at those two bookend verses of glory, you'll see the second Lord is not all capitalized. And that's because... It's a different Hebrew word that applies to God here, meaning master. David realized that Yahweh was also the master of his life, as he is the master of our life. David then goes on in poetic terms with this all-inclusive uh, language of praise. And he says it's even proclaimed by children and infants. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, if the words that I just read and, and, and David read 
seem different to your ear than what you're used to and different to what was on the screen, there's a reason. Most times we are using the new NIV, New International Version Translation, which was finished up in 2011. Okay? And they have done some things in, in, in translations that sound different to us. They at times have chosen a, a different word or a phrase that is acceptable, that is, is an alternate, a, a different uh, word or phrase that they could put in. So that's why the 1984 version seems more familiar, at least to some of us, where we hear, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Just think about that. God established praise to him, not only from little children, but in infants that they cannot even talk, at least in words that we can understand, but they can praise God, and they do praise God is what, what David is, is sharing here with us. And we'll talk about that again in a little while. So if you follow along with what David is doing, he's talking about God, a Lord, a Yahweh, who, who deserves all of our praise. Every entity, even, even little children. And then he goes on to, to take this poetic picture uh, that it's even shown by the heavens. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Modern science has often tried to under, undermine the fact that God created everything by the power of his word. And modern science tries to prove and show things. So they, they build better microscopes and huger telescopes and satellites that go beyond our atmosphere so they can, they can take pictures of more and deeper into our universe. And when they do that, what do they find? Right? They find a vast and glorious and marvelous creation, which we say just brings more praise and glory to our God beyond what we could ever imagine. Uh, I heard a scientist recently on, or a report from a scientist recently on the radio that said, in his estimations, using some data from some, uh, some telescope or some satellite, that there perhaps in the universes that are out there could be 30,000 planets similar to Earth in their relationship to the, the sun that they, they are going around. Maybe. Amazing if it is, but even more amazing is that God has chosen one of these, these type planets, which we call the earth, to put you and me on. And has taken care of us and promises to take care of us every day, in every way necessary, until he takes us to heaven. But the heaven that David was talking about here probably doesn't mean that place of eternal joy with Jesus. He's probably talking about the heaven that, that he looked up and saw. We know that David, for a number of years of his young life, was a shepherd. Can you imagine being a shepherd all by yourself out on some lonely hillside and looking up at night you know, with none of the street lights and all the things that we have and seeing the beauty of the stars shining bright there and the amazement of what is that? And God made all that, right? 
So then he, he says, When I consider your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, that leads into the question that he wants us all to think about. What is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? Here again, if the words don't ring true to what you're used to, we witness another difference in the new NIV. Whenever possible, if the original language and the context allows, they are using gender-inclusive language. So rather than what is man, they say what is mankind. And it is true. What God is saying, or what David is saying there, he is not just about males. No, he's not about males and females. And then they would just talk that way. They'd say, what is man? And today we'd probably say, what is, what is mankind? So the new NIV does that. Uh, well, then if you use mankind, then you have to change the pronouns, right? You can't say, what is mankind that he? So that's what, what you have, that, that kind of a change there. But the, the point that David is making still comes through. Who are we? Who are we as, as human beings that God should care for us? Who are we that, that God should someday send his son, the son of man? We're not so nice. We're not so kind all the time. We can be rather wicked. We can talk and think in ways that are horrible. And yet, right? And yet God cares about us and promises to take care of us, and he does that thing every day in every way. One lasting thing, God's, the glory for God's people. Because of God's caring, and because God knows that we need it, and that we can't have any glory on our own, the glory gained by then the man. Whether it's many or one, here again we deal with a new NIV translation which reads, You have crowned them a little lower than angels. You have made them a little lower than angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And in your uh, service folders, in the outline, I've, I've even put some of the footnotes that they have that... Uh, show the alternate, the, the hymn, rather than their hands, and, and those things like that. But again, the, the point that David is, is making, um, whether we're talking about one man or, or every human, we are made lower than the angels. We are not divine, although some people think they are. We are not divine. We are mortal. Not only are we able to sin, we do sin. We sin on, on a regular basis. We don't deserve to be, have any kind of glory, any kind of honor given to us. Yet God has crowned humankind with honor and glory when he made them to be rulers and head over all of creation. Right? From Adam and Eve on, right? You will rule over them. What does that mean? It means to take care of them in a God-pleasing way. It doesn't mean to ruin them, to pollute them to take advantage and kill all them or, or whatever that might happen to be. But that was an honor. That he put his creation in our hands. 
How are we doing? Sometimes not so well. Sometimes not, not, not so well. What concerns many uh, in our, our church body and others probably about the new NIV isn't that those things aren't, aren't uh, workable translations, but where does it put Jesus? And, and is the language that's used there lessening the intent to find Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm, as he is the ultimate fulfillment of all of Scripture? Because we know Jesus also took on human flesh and was made for a time lower than the angels. And we know that, that um, Jesus then did that for us. And we don't want to do anything or lessen the importance of him who was crowned with all honor and glory. The honor and glory he always had. But that honor and glory that he, for a time at least, did not make full use of and show and proclaim so they could live in our place and die in our place, right? And come alive showing that the honor and glory that he has and he deserved to have, he shares with us through faith in him. The New Testament, though, leaves little doubt that this ultimate fulfillment was, was Jesus of Psalm 8. Because it applies in many places the, the verses to him. And we heard one of those read in our gospel reading. Right? Jesus was doing what the Savior was going to be empowered to do. Heal the sick. Give sight to the blind. The lame would walk. And people saw that and they were amazed. And they were singing his praises. And no greater time that we find in Scripture that they sing his praises and on Palm Sunday when he rode in humbly on the colt of a donkey and the people sang praises to him and put their cloaks down. And even after that, the little children in the temple courts were, were proclaiming who he was and what they thought about him. Hosanna, which, became, which means save us now, but became, became a phrase, a Masonic praise to the one who would come. And the learned and the leaders didn't like that. Right? So they come to Jesus and they said, and one of the things they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David, right? Connected clearly to the writer of this psalm. Maybe they were thinking of this psalm when they said, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? And of course they had read. They had read this many times. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And what does Jesus do after this? This is Palm Sunday, right? Holy Week. And all the events of Holy Week. Good Friday, right? This was the beginning of the end of Jesus' life here on this earth, but not the end of what he came for. This is what it was all about, so that those who trusted in him could receive honor and glory, the honor and glory that he earned and he wanted to give to them, and he knew this had to happen before that. 
The writer to the Hebrews picks up almost this entire psalm in the second chapter and uh, reads like this. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, but about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and they obviously knew these people who knew the, the Bible, uh, Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And put in everything under their feet, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. And here he applies it to Jesus. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's a promise to you. You will not taste eternal death. Someone else ate it for you and suffered the, the, the pain for you and that's Jesus, right? That's why we praise him. Right? That's why we sing the, the, the songs uh, of praise to him. My Savior, my God, you are truly worthy of my praise. And Paul agrees, 1 Corinthians, he says, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when he says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one that we trust in, the one that we look to. And then he gives us these wonderful blessings of grace. The blessings of holy baptism, which the Holy Spirit takes the water and the words that Jesus gave and creates faith in the, in the hearts of infants. So their, their lips can sing forth his praise. A God who, who loves us so much, he gave his son to die on the cross. And that son says, I want to give you a taste of that forgiveness. Come and kneel. Come and stand down here and receive, Jesus says, my true body and my true blood, so that you may know your sins are forgiven. I am crowning you with that forgiveness. Do we always appreciate that? Do we forget our unworthiness and think that all in and of ourselves we have reason to have honor and glory just because of who we are or whatever? It's only because of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. How anxious are we to share this glory and honor of knowing a Savior who lived and died with others? What are you willing to do or to give up? Or to dedicate, or to offer up your time for Christmas for kids, your effort to go to the neighbor uh, who's you know been a little uh, little short with you, and, and give that neighbor an invitation to enroll their child, or, or or one of these 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 cards to them, inviting them to the uh, nativity, live nativity. What are we willing to do? One of the things that we as a congregation are going to have to decide pretty soon is what are we going to do in the future for ministry? 
And some of the things that, that, that I hear is, well, we have to take care of our needs, apostles' needs. That makes me real nervous, dear friends. Because part of our needs is to tell other people out there that, that don't know Jesus, right? The cultures and the people that God has brought around us here and at peace are absolutely amazing. The majority of them do not know Christ. They do not believe in him. They do not care for him or knows that he cares for them. They don't know what he's done for them. What are we willing to not have so they might have a chance to know Jesus? An opportunity to, to come to believe in a Savior who loves them so dearly. As much as he loved King David, as much as he loves you and me. Why? Well, of course, so that, that they someday may join with King David and with us in heaven, proclaiming to our gracious God, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.